Welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Nail It Ortho Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery material, but you are now tuned into our OITE review series, and uh, we are on some sports. So if this is your first time listening, welcome to the podcast. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If this is your returning time, I don't even know if that's a word, but if this is your time coming back and you're uh, coming back and listening again, welcome back. And we will uh, we will go ahead and proceed with today's talk. So we'll talk about some more sports. Enjoy. Our episode today is sponsored by Panacea Financial, a digital bank built for doctors by doctors. From medical student to attending, Panacea offers free checking and loan options just for physicians, including their PR and personal loan that gives you up to seventy five thousand at an interest rate less than half of a credit card. Panacea Financial can also refinance your medical school debt with no maximums or help with commercial needs such as practice or surgery center buy-ins. Visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to learn how you can join the physicians nationwide who expect more from their bank. Panacea Financial is a division of the Primus member FDIC. And please, if you go, mention it, Nailed It Ortho in the How Did You Hear About Us section. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Okay, well, uh, we finished up with the ACL on the last one, so we might as well just go ahead and switch gears and go to the PCL. So, um, so what's the origin and you know the straight anatomy? I guess what's the origin and attachment of the PCL or the posterior cruciate ligament of the knee? Kind of the opposite of the ACL, obviously the posterior uh, tibia plateau, um, and then it goes up to the uh, anterolateral lateral aspect of the medial femoral condyle um which i mean it's uh they call it the tibial sulcus which is a little bit below the articular surface on the tibia and then the anterolateral surface of the medial uh femoral condyle um which is really uh noticeable on a like a sagittal mri where you see the the PCL, you'll see it kind of dip down and actually attach below the level of the articular surface, whereas the ACL attaches kind of level with the articular surface in between the uh, uh, anterior aspects of the medial and lateral menisci. Um, so uh, obviously uh, we don't want these injured, but uh, if they do, what's the usual mechanism of injury for the PCL? Yeah, so it's a lot of different uh, mechanisms of injury but like to sum it up it's like anything where the tibia is moving posteriorly right so this can be something that ranges from a dashboard injury to you know where you're driving and you get a head-on uh, posterior directed force on the proximal aspect of the tibia that drives it back or sometimes uh, more frequently or the, I think one of the most common mechanisms is going to be again a direct blow to the proximal tibia but this can occur in athletes when they fall into a flexed knee and they have their foot in plantar flexion. So that kind of places a, a posterior force on the tibia and leads to uh, at least that PCL rupture. So again, uh, uh, if, if you know, you're thinking of an athlete or somebody that falls, they fall onto a plantar flexed foot, which brings the tibia posteriorly. Now, say for example, you know, we have this patient that we're concerned that they might have a PCL injury or they're referred to us and uh, all it says is that, you know, on the referral, it just says PCL injury. What are some of the physical exam findings that uh, that we may 
see in patients that have a PCL injury? The uh, biggest one or the most common one is just the uh, posterior drawer or the uh, just kind of posterior sag test. And what you're doing with these is you are uh, holding the knee at about 90 degrees of flexion and uh, opposite of the ACL where you pull it forward, you push the proximal tibia more posterior um, or if they're just sitting uh, or laying down in that resting position, you'll see the tibia sag posterior to the femur compared to their contralateral extremity. Um, there's also the quadriceps active test where the knee is flexed at 90 degrees and uh, the quads are activated. And you, once the quads get activated, you'll see the tibia move forward or reduce under the condyles before uh, full activation and knee extension. And then uh, one of the last ones, I mean, this kind of incorporates the posterior lateral corner too, but it's the uh, dial test and the patient is laying on their stomach and you're holding both of their legs extended uh, and you're externally rotating the knees to look for uh, PCL and PCL plus uh, posterior lateral corner uh, instability. So you're testing it at 30 degrees. And if there's more uh, external rotation, then there's a PCL injury at 30 degrees. And if you go all the way up to 90 degrees and there's more uh, external rotation on one side, then it's a PCL and posterior lateral corner injury. Um, and uh, the grading uh, scale, because we have to have a grade for everything. Uh, what are these different grades for PCL injury? Yeah, so it's, it's three different grades. And, um, and, you know, the first, you know, one of the things that do that is kind of based on is the position of the tibia uh, relative to the femoral condyle. So in a grade one injury, the tibia is going to be anterior to the condyles. Um, so that kind of tells you you may just have an isolated PCL injury. Uh, in a grade two, you have uh, an incomplete PCL injury. So the anterior tibia is kind of flushed with the condyles. And in grade three, you have, you know, possible ACL and PCL injuries and the tibia is just completely posterior to the condyles. Um, so those are the grades. I don't know how much they'll, if they'll really ask that, but I guess, you know, just to know in your head that, you know, those are kind of the different grades for PCL injuries. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they come in, they come into play, I guess, when we talk about treatment, which we'll talk about Shortly, but uh, I mean, if you have somebody and you know they had the, you know they come with some X-rays, what are some things that we can see on X-rays in patients that have these PCL injuries? Uh, one is an avulsion. If it does, if the PCL does avulse off, uh, most likely it's probably going to be the uh, the tibia side that it avulses off. You'll see that on a uh, lateral view. Um, but other things you can see. Um, you can do a stress radiograph, uh, a lateral, so you'll see subluxation of the tibia posteriorly. And then uh, in the uh, uh, patellofemoral compartment and medial compartment, arthritis uh, is big with the, uh, the chronic injuries. And uh, that could be tested, I think, out of all of these 
sort of imaging findings, it's probably the most likely to be tested on radiographs is that for people with chronic PCL uh, injuries, they're most at risk for both patellofemoral and medial compartment arthritis. And uh, uh, obviously go into like an MRI, uh, you'll see a, a mid-substance tear of the uh, PCL, um, but that's really about the the only finding you're looking for on a sagittal view of the MRI. And uh, what uh, we've diagnosed a PCL injury in uh, a young athlete or a uh, young in like in their 20s or 30s. Uh, what's the treatment for these? Yeah, so those kind of those grade one and grade two injuries where you just, you know, you may have an um, uh, isolated, you know, the PCL uh, injury. Uh, sometimes you can you can treat a lot of those non-operatively, and you and you brace them in extension, and then you you know taking the physical therapy to uh, strengthen their quadriceps. Uh, for those avulsion fractures that you were talking about, where you say you look on a on a sagittal MRI, or you look at a lateral X, or you see that piece of bone in the posterior proximal tibia that's uh, avulsed off. Uh, sometimes with those, you can just fix those. So you actually go and uh, fix those with a screw fixation. There are many different ways to fix them, but Overall, you would open, reduce, and internally fixate that fragment. And then, you know, for these grade three injuries where you may have, you know, multi-ligamentous knee injuries where you have an ACL and a PCL injury, and, you know, you can see quite obviously that the tibia is, is, is posteriorly sagged and posterior to those condyles. Those are ones that you would, that you would uh, do a PCL reconstruction for. And, uh, and, since, and since we're on the, actually, one more thing I just wanted to re reiterate that you spoke about not, not too long ago is kind of what you, that, that, that pattern of arthritis that you get when you have a PCL injury that is chronic. And, and you know, these patients uh, end up having a varus thrust and having uh, patellofemoral compartment and medial compartment arthritis with those chronic injuries. So I just want to reiterate that. I've seen that asked on a couple of different questions. But um, mm -hmm. since we're since we're talking about reconstructing PCLs and, and different fixation um, uh, techniques, what are some key techniques with uh, with PCL reconstruction? Like when you think of oh, you can do this versus that versus this versus that. What are some things that you think of? So the two uh, main ways to fix these uh, are the uh, arthroscopic transtibial technique, which is a lot more similar to how an ACL is traditionally uh, reconstructed where you have an intraarticular view with the camera and you're um, drilling up towards that, uh, like through the tibia, towards that posterior sulcus where the uh, PCL originates, uh, passing the graft through and bringing it out through that anterolateral aspect of the medial femoral condyle. So a lot uh, more similar to a traditional ACL technique. And then there's the uh, open tibial inlay technique, which uh, you, it is, it, it's an open procedure using a posterior medial incision between the medial head of the gastroc and the semimembranosus. And um, the, Kind of the cons of the transtibial technique, because of the very posterior uh, location of the origin of the PCL, uh, it has to, as you pass the graft and fixate the graft, it does something called a killer turn. 
meaning you're coming up through the tibia. And then in order to get to the femur, the graft has to do a 90 degree uh, turn uh, through the tibia. And that very sharp corner on the tibia is known to cause uh, early graft failure and a lot of graft scarring just because of uh, the rough surface there. And the benefit of the tibial inlay technique is you don't have that killer turn with less graft attenuation and failure, but it is an open procedure. So uh, it's kind of dealer's choice. I don't think that they're going to test on which way is better or worse because they're both used. It's just uh, knowing that uh, the transtibial technique has something called a killer turn, which can cause early graft failure, but the open uh, tibial inlay technique gets rid of that, but it is an open procedure with a larger incision and more dissection. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I've seen that. Um, I've seen that uh, in some, I don't remember how, I, I don't remember how they asked it, but I, I definitely saw um, some things talking about the inlay versus the trans tibial technique, which I had actually never heard of until preparing for this, uh, for this episode and, you know, reading all these different sources and doing questions and stuff. So, uh, for those listening, like, yeah, that's, uh, that's something right there. That killer turn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was doing some board study and then it came up on one of the questions where it was like, I guess they were talking about what is the benefit of the inlay technique over the arthroscopic transtibial and, um, it didn't necessarily say killer turn, but it did talk about, uh, less association with graft failure with the yeah. inlay technique. But uh, again, it's, I guess it's kind of a niche thing here. If you're fixing PCLs, then you have a lot more interest in sports than I do. Um, but <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Oh, and then single bundle, double bundle, I think is kind of the same argument with uh, the ACL reconstruction, where if you have the, uh, hand dexterity if you have the desire to learn the double bundle which is more uh, advanced more difficult the, something that there is a biomechanical advantage to reconstructing the different bundles because they do technically do different things and the different bundles are the um, uh, anterolateral bundle and the posterior medial bundle um, but I, I think it's kind of dealer's choice there where most people still do the single bundle technique, um, but you can do a double bundle if you so wish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, we already talked about the differences between the inlay and transtibial, but uh, um, what position should the knee be in after a PCL reconstruction? Yeah, um, I think for that, it's extension is what, is what they want to kind of have it in. And, and, and just one quick point on what you're talking about as far as a single bundle versus a double bundle. I don't know if they'll ask this, but, but I've read in, in certain different, um, different sources that when you, when you have your graft and you're fixing it for your, your single bundles, you want to fix those at, just at 90 degrees of flexion is where you kind of secure the graft. When you have the double bundle, uh, you fix uh, two graphs in different um, in different leg positions. So you fix the anterior lateral graft at 90 degrees of flexion, 
uh, which is the most important for posterior stability. And then for the posterior medial graft or the posterior medial bundle, you tighten that in extension. And I don't know, I just kind of remember like, it just seems like the anterior bundles of both the ACL and, and PCL are both like tight during flexion. So if you can remember that, you can remember, uh, you can remember, you know, I mean, that's really what you need to remember. The, the anterior ones are tight during flexion. So that's how you would fix the anterior lateral uh, bundle. And then of course, for the ACL, we talked about our anterior medial bundle, uh, giving us kind of that stability uh, during flexion, stopping the tibia from translating anteriorly. But um, yeah, so to, to answer your question, the knee should be an extension after a PCL reconstruction. And uh, I mean, that's just kind of just, just got to kind of know that. Uh, now, moving forward, we spoke about the cruciate ligaments. We talked about the ACLs. We talked about the PCLs. We talked in depth about ACLs because that's one of the most tested questions or topics. Uh, but Quickly touching on MCLs, what is the, or the medial collateral ligament of the knee? What is the typical mechanism of injury and the treatment for most MCL injuries? So, yeah, obviously with the uh, MCL being on the medial aspect of the knee, it is it resists valgus stress. And so uh, uh, valgus stress or stretch injury to the knee is going to result in a rupture of the uh, MCL past what it can already tolerate. Um, the knee is usually held in a slight flexion and external rotated uh, state, and it gets hit from the lateral aspect, causing that valgus force. Um, different from an ACL, an MCL injury is usually contact injuries, whereas ACLs are usually non-contact injuries. Um, so it's that can be useful for uh, dissecting a question where they're talking about a knee injury in an athlete, like a football player, and they talk about a direct blow to the knee rather than a non-contact injury. Uh, can lead you more towards MCL, but um, don't completely hang your hat on it. It's just something uh, useful to know. Um, and... Uh, let's see here. The um, treatment for a lot of these MCL injuries is non-op just because uh, it's very rare to have uh, MCL plus a cruciate injury. Um, but if obviously if you do have the cruciate injury, they, they take precedent um, and you don't always have to fix the MCL with a cruciate uh, ligament injury. And one thing that uh, I just learned about because one of our uh, second year residents is an absolute genius. Um, <laughs> he, he noticed this, this kind of weird appearance on uh, the medial aspect of a distal femur. Like, I don't know, in his last few days of his intern year and I'm looking at the list and he puts on there a uh, patient with uh, Pellegrini Stida lesion of the knee and I'm like what the heck is he talking about and I had to like look it up and a Pellegrini uh, stida uh, lesion is uh, due to a chronic MCL deficiency and there you see calcification at the medial femoral insertion site um, which can be tender to palpation but usually is asymptomatic uh, but yeah that was and, I, and then I saw it come up on my board study questions where Damn. um it was like, I'd identify, it was kind of like a matching set and it was like, 
identify the lesions and that came up and I was like, holy crap, this is actually like Real something stuff. that we're, ex- <laughs> we're supposed to know, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, uh, uh, again, uh, kind of getting back to it, um, grading systems, grade one, two, and three, grade one being the less severe, grade three being the most severe. We don't need to get into the nitty gritty details, but a lot of the times these are non-op uh, therapy, working on knee proprioception, bracing. Uh, and then if the knee is still chronically unstable and they do have a MCL injury, you can uh, reconstruct the MCL but or repair it, but it's really not uh, that common. Um, and then on the uh, other side of the knee, what's the mechanism and treatment of most LCL injuries? Yeah, so lateral collateral ligament uh, injuries from the um, lateral uh, epicondyle down to the fibula. Uh, this is going to be against something similar to your MCL injuries, but it's going to be the opposite, right? So it's going to be a a, a a various force to near. You know, they always show like the football player running in his leg and then somebody's helmet hitting the inside of the knee, causing that various force, that injury to the LCL. And uh, typically for most of these, similarly to the MCL, you can treat these non-operatively. But, you know, one caveat is that if this is a combined injury, right? So, you know, your LCL lights up, but then you also have, you know, popliteus injury, popliteal fibular ligament injury. And so you now you're thinking of more posterior lateral corner injuries, then that may be, you know, an indication to actually treat these, you know, operatively, you may consider PCL or, uh, yeah, posterior lateral corner uh, uh, reconstruction, not PCL, but PLC reconstruction. So, for most LCL injuries, these are treated non-operatively, but if this is a combined injury with a posterior lateral corner, like for example, with a posterior lateral corner injury, that would maybe be an indication to treat these non-operatively. I mean, operatively, man, I'm mixing it up, operatively. <laughs> so if it's combined, operative treatment. <laughs> but um, since we're talking about the posterior lateral corner of the knee or the so-called dark side as Dr. Chala described it in uh, in our episode on posterior lateral corner injuries, if anybody, uh, is interested in learning uh, way more about posterior lateral corner injuries, check out that episode. But uh, what is the type of instability that is seen with these posterior lateral corner injuries? Um, yeah, so you'll see, uh, I mean, as it's kind of similar to the posterior lateral rotatory instability of the elbow, there is a posterior lateral rotatory instability of the knee where the lateral tibial plateau moves posteriorly uh, compared with the lateral femoral condyle. So in essence, there's an increased external rotation of the tibia on the uh, femur. And um, again, we had briefly talked about the dial test for the uh, PCL, and it's to help differentiate uh, isolated PLC versus a combined injury. So Dial test at 30 degrees of knee flexion is uh, solely a posterior lateral corner injury. And at 90 degrees, it's a a combined posterior lateral corner and PCO instability. Um, uh, Before we even started recording, we were talking about this reverse pivot shift test, which is uh, obviously you have that the the pivot shift for the ACL uh, where the tibia is 
uh, subluxed an extension. And then as you go to flexion, the uh, IT band uh, reduces it. But the reverse pivot shift test is um, when the tibia is subluxed in flexion and it reduces with knee extension. It is not a very sensitive or specific test. And in doing a quick little uh, uh, lit search and reading about this reverse pivot shift test, it has even shown that it can be a positive finding in around 30 to 40% of asymptomatic or normal knees. So uh, I guess to kind of take this test with a, with a grain of salt, but um, uh, if you have an athlete with an isolated acute uh, posterior lateral corner injury, uh, are we treating these operatively or non-operatively? You know, those, those would be ones that you would treat operatively, right? So if you, just like what you're saying, if you do the physical exam, you know, they come in and they have kind of, you know, a mechanism of some type of various, uh, various type of uh, injury to their knee. And then you do a physical exam uh, test and you have them prone and you excellently rotate both the legs at 30 and at 90 and it only winds at 30 and, and they have, you know, positive posterior, um, posterior lateral uh, drawer test, you know, and, and then you get an MRI and you note that they have uh, uh, lighting or a lot of edema right, right around the posterior lateral corner. You can see an avulsion of the lateral collateral ligament or, you know, injury to the post to the popliteus. That would be, uh, you know, these would be all indications to kind of go and go ahead and treat these operatively and go repair that posterior lateral corner. So any acute injuries should be treated non-operative. I mean, should be treated operatively of, uh, of the posterior lateral corner. Um, and, you know, so I don't know how much more the last about the posterior lateral corner besides like, you know, uh, besides the physical exam findings, then making sure that, that if somebody has an ACL injury as well as a combined posterior lateral corner injury, if you don't address the posterior lateral corner, then those patients have a, they are, are at a higher rate for having their ACL reconstruction fail. So you need to make sure you address the posterior lateral corner as well as the ACL if you're doing ACL reconstruction in a patient that has these injuries. So I know that's an important point to know. Uh, about you know regarding a posterior lateral corner and then again with uh with the uh physical exam findings and i think there may even be some questions like isolated questions of like what the pop what is the role of the popliteus muscle and like what does it do and you know it's supposed to internally rotate uh the tibia so if it's if it's injured you have a lot of external rotation which would make sense so that may be just another way to think of that now um moving forward yeah. we're talking about patients that have these multi-ligamentous knee injuries you know so say for example you have a uh you know a 20 year old lady uh you know bmi of, of 45 that just stepped wrong and had this knee dislocation and got he had an mri that showed you know injuries and ruptures of the acl pcl mcl lcl uh and you know you're planning to undergo a ligamentous reconstruction uh and, and say you know you're gung-ho and want to get this done pretty quickly so you said within a week or two you want to go ahead and do this uh you know case. this uh so kind of going along with this this actually just came up in my board studying too i oh wow i was like all this stuff is just like coming up and so we're we're giving you the the high yield stuff here um <laughs> but it, it was that it was that exact same story man oh like really the, <laughs> the kind of uh the the low energy high BMI, 
patient that yeah they're like i just stepped off a corner and they're uh or a curb wrong and their mri looks like a bomb went off in there and uh it, they that was exactly what they were talking about and they're like when do you want to uh, attempt arthroscopic ligament reconstruction and um it was uh and why and uh and i was like that's that seems kind of weird like i mean <laughs> we put a lot of x fixes on these and um then we do a reconstruction like two weeks later and i mostly just thought for it was like just tissue rest but if you're rupturing that much stuff around the knee and the capsule itself if you're doing an arthroscopic uh repair or re reconstruction all of that fluid can extravasate down into the leg compartments itself and lead to compartment syndrome so yep. uh, you want to wait uh, at least two weeks for things to kind of scar in a little bit and decrease that risk of uh, compartment syndrome which I mean it makes sense intuitively but it's just something that uh, if you're not thinking about it then you're, you're going to sit there and wonder, well, why can't I just do this right now? And it's really because of that compartment syndrome. So uh, talking about optimal timing for these, um, I, I think that you want to get to them relatively soon. Like that question was saying, like around two weeks, you don't want to let them sit in an X fix for uh, whatever, like four to six weeks while everything calms down. You'd, uh, you want to get to them soon, but not too soon that you run the risk of compartment syndrome. So uh, yeah. other complications uh, of multi-leg knee reconstructions are uh, are what? Yeah, some other complications, uh, knee stiffness. OK, and then um, and then, you know, a way to avoid that would just be, you know, working on early knee range of motion. Um, you just got to try to get as much range of motion as you can. You know, we know these these uh, patients get stiff for sure. And, uh, and, I, and those are all good points that you made uh, talking about, you know, these multi-ligamentous knee injuries and when to treat them. And uh, I know there was, a, there was a study out there, there's a study out there that they uh, quote or that they reference as far as the timing for ligament reconstructions. And this is kind of a, a systematic review that was published in JBJS actually in 2009, a while back. Um, named multiple ligament knee injuries, a systematic review of the timing of operative intervention and post-operative rehabilitation. And just like you were just saying, some studies do, do show that earlier treatment is uh, associated with superior clinical outcomes. So uh, just, just doubling back on that. But um, yeah, no, like, like you asked, uh, knee stiffness is, is the most common complication. You wanna just try to get these patients ranging their knees as early as possible. Thank you all for listening to that episode on sports and a little bit more about the knee. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Please tell somebody about this episode if you really enjoy us or enjoy listening to us uh, talk and banter about all the things that Spencer loves about sports. Um, we hope you enjoy it. So until next time.